Swing and a line drive left field. Benintendi coming on, dives. And did he make the catch? He did. He got it. There we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive. He crushed it. It's a grand slam. Swing and a miss. Strike three. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. For baseball fans across Red Sox Nation, MLB fans from around the league, and the Yankees fans who can't get enough of hating us, welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering the Boston Red Sox. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and literally every single platform imaginable. We are downloaded in over 30 countries from across the planet each week, according to PodTrack.com. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set with the Baltimore Orioles splitting the series 2-2. Two to two. They are currently 9-20, still at the bottom of the American League East. News out of Fenway infielder Christian Arroyo has cleared waivers and has been outrighted to Pawtucket. Kyle Hart will get the Tuesday start in Game 1 against the Blue Jays in Buffalo, New York. News from around the league, Brock Holt has been DFA'd by the Milwaukee Brewers after struggling offensively. Brandon Workman blew his first save opportunity with the Phillies on the very first pitch he threw to Braves outfielder Adam Duvall. Phillies went on to lose that game. The Grand Slam hitting San Diego Padres have won seven games in a row and currently trail the Dodgers by four games. Once again, I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine, and I'm joined tonight from Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm uh, I'm okay. I mean, we just split a series with a playoff team. So that's how I'm rationalizing this weekend, or at least that's that's how I'm going to process it. Is you know we we did okay against the playoff team. We didn't we didn't get swept. So I'll take it. It's not not the worst thing that could happen. I love the glass half full approach. I I'm yeah. half empty. I think we should have won at least three out of four. But uh, be that as it may. Uh, <laughs> Also joining us tonight uh, from Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm I'm happy we're able to string a little three-game win streak together. And while we still have the worst record in baseball, it was nice to see three wins. And it was nice to see some pitchers that don't necessarily have the uh, standard every fifth-day stuff do some great work. Yeah, we'll get into uh, some of those in the studs and duds and honorable mentions, but uh, not not a terrible weekend for the Red Sox bullpen. So, you know, we'll uh, see if maybe we can take a, another series from Toronto. That is the, the series we did win, uh, it seems like a few weeks ago at this point. But getting right into it. Studs and duds. Jason, you're in the leadoff spot. Who is your stud for the series? 
My stud is the starter from Saturday night. That would be Martin Perez. And this guy has been um, a little bit polarizing since coming to Boston because he's he gets sort of the uh, what Verdugo's getting with the Mookie Betts treatment. He's getting with the Rick Porcello treatment, which is every time he struggles even a little bit, you get Pete Abraham and all the other uh, all the other Red Sox Bobo fanboys on Twitter saying, "Well, you know, for four million more dollars, they could have just kept Rick Porcello." Well, Martin Perez on Saturday night proved that you don't need Rick Porcello for ten million dollars because Martin Perez, when he's on, is actually a pretty good pitcher. He showed this in glimpses uh, last year with Minnesota, especially in the first half. Unfortunately, things fell apart for him in the second half last year, but. He has decent stuff, and he can put it when he puts it together. He's a really good pitcher. Saturday night, seven innings, ninety-four pitches, uh, struck out six guys, only allowed one run. That was on a solo homer, but he was awesome, and he deserved to win that game. I mean, he, he should have. The Red Sox should have won that game if Josh Taylor didn't come in and blow it, and then you know Barnes didn't blow it later. Um, so Perez kind of got screwed out of a win there, but he was awesome. He looks really good, and for any of you who are still lamenting the loss of Rick Porcello, uh, let me give you a quick update on him. He's made five starts with the Mets. He's 1-3 with an ERA of 5.76 and a whip of 1.64. Uh, Martin Perez so far this year has made six starts, 2-3, and 3.45 ERA, and a 1.18 whip. So... For four million less dollars, Martin Perez has been at least through five or six starts the much better pitcher. So I think we can stop with the Rick Porcello comparison now because clearly Rick Porcello still sucks. And I'm not telling you Martin Perez is going to be you know a future star or that he's going to be a Cy Young candidate, but he's going to be stable enough for what this team needs him to be. And that on Saturday night. That's exactly what you need from a guy like Martin Perez. He was awesome. Yeah, and only one walk, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Normally he's had two or three. Yeah, and with, with Perez, one of his worst starts of the season was previously against Baltimore, so it was kind of nice to see him come in and kind of you know be lights out more or less. And he was really efficient as well. Uh, with his with his pitches until the very last inning he was in. He kind of labored through that uh, seventh inning, and I, I was kind of thinking Renicky was leaving him out to dry because, you know, probably should have got the bullpen in a little faster. You know, but who knows? I mean, because it's not like Taylor got knocked around a little bit anyway, so maybe it would have been all for naught, but impressive performance anyway. Charlie, thoughts on Perez? Um, I was really happy to see him actually put in seven innings. Uh, we haven't seen seven innings out of Martin Perez, uh, and that goes back to last year. And uh, I'm still not, I'm still not buying into the Mar- Martin Perez hype yet. He hit seven innings three times last year. That's it. Um, I guess that's quality considering. Um, but Martin Perez last year started off seven and two. He finished off. With after a, a, seven, a seven and three or seven and two record, um, he ended up then going 
three and five, and his ERA ballooned another two point five above that two point eight nine ERA. So he just he starts off great, and then I just I think he hits he just gets fatigued. So while I'm happy, I'll enjoy the win the win that you know he pitched seven innings and whatnot. Um, should he have won this game? Yeah, but there's going to be plenty of games where he probably should lose, and his team is going to keep the minute. Uh, granted, this is a unique situation where I don't know if that's going to happen, but um, he, he did great. You know, seven innings is is more than what you're asking for from a starter in Boston right now. Another thing that came to mind is with Perez pitching very well and Evoldi, you know, other than the New York start pitching very well, just imagine how competitive we would be right now if we did have Chris Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really fair point. I was actually thinking about that when I was going through Perez's numbers and I looked at his contract thinking, you know, I wonder what they're going to do with this guy because I'm not sure, especially with the trade deadline being so close now, I'm not sure he's really a trade candidate because it's such a small sample size for a guy who really has had a roller coaster of a career. But, like, I don't know, do the Red Sox bring him, try to bring him back next year, maybe on another one or two year deal? You know, if they're impressed with what he does the rest of this season. Actually, he's he, a really He has an guy. option for next year, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if we want to bring him back, we can. I, I think it's. And I think, and I think the Red Sox will exercise that if they need to, even if it's like worst case scenario. And the reason for that being is what's the worst that could happen? You already know what you got for one year. You know, it's basically, you know, it's like a, a Porcello-esque four or five guy just doesn't give up five, six runs a game, hopefully. Um, I, I still do kind of compare him to Porcello. I know that some some want to put that to rest. I'm I'm still not a believer of Martin Perez as of yet. I'm just, I'm not. It's going to take more than a couple of starts for me. Well, I just look at it as a bonus if you do have the other guys in the rotation. So, I mean, if he's legitimately the number four guy, I'm not worried about it. If we're going into next season with a lot of uncertainty, then I would probably be a little more pessimistic that he's going to give you 30 starts of what we're seeing right now. It would just be a much tougher sell, but if he's got better pitchers around him to kind of take the pressure off, I'm probably a little bit more of an optimist. Yeah, I agree. I think if, you know, if you are able to get sale and Erod back next year, um, and all of a sudden Perez slides down to the number three or number four spot in your rotation, and maybe the extra spot is taken up by a free agent that you go sign or another trade you make, all of a sudden, you know, that's that's pretty good. That's a decent rotation. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie, your stud for the Baltimore series. I am actually going to go with Alex Verdugo on this one. I I can't say enough good things about him now. Like, I just, I like his attitude. I like his spirit. I like his fire. He kind of reminds me of, like, Rafi Devers. He's, he's the kid there. He's, he's, like, what, 23 years old. Um, he had a great series, went five for 13. Um, each game that he started, he got on base, uh, at least twice. Um, 
he had three doubles in the series. He had a couple of, of runs, a couple of RBIs, only struck out twice in 13 at-bats. But the good thing was you saw that the batting average for the series at 385. He had one outfield assist. Um, in game four, you know, today came in to pinch hit for Chavis, drew the walk, scored on the home run. Um, so he's doing whatever he can with the opportunities he's given. I can't say enough good things about him. Jason, thoughts on Verdugo? Yeah, I'm starting to really like Alex Verdugo. Um, I, I agree with you. His his energy is awesome, and it's exactly what this team needs, especially with what they're going to go through this season. Um, he Watching him play, is he's fun. He's fun to watch, and it's exactly the kind of young player that you want to build this team around. Um, he's got a little bit of an attitude, a little bit of a you know, little passion around him, um, and I really like his game. He looks like a complete player. You know, he can he can hit for power when he gets a hold of a pitch that he likes. Um, defensively, like at times, he's looked a bit shaky on in terms of just the minor technical stuff. But that outfield assist was was awesome. I mean, he, it was a spin and throw kind of thing. Like. It was a really nice play. Um, so I think that he's only going to get better and better in all aspects of his game the more he gets to play. And, I, you know, I think at this point, Renicky and the Red Sox recognize him as he is a guy who needs to be in the lineup every single game, no matter how you get him in there. So he should get plenty of playing time, and he should be one of these guys that, uh, you know, you, you start really building this thing around. I... Just my, I love Alex Verdugo, and he, he, this is probably the fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth show in a row where he's been somebody's stud. And he only played two games this series, like that. Well, three if you consider today he came in to pinch hit, but he only started two of them. And I'm starting to get really frustrated with that because why is he being treated as if he's a platoon player? And he's a lefty. Bradley's a lefty. Verdugo's numbers against lefties, he's got a 278 average and a 366 OBP. Bradley has a 200 average and a 200 OBP. Jackie Bradley has not drawn a walk against a single lefty. So I just, I don't understand why. Verdugo isn't an everyday player, especially when Ben Intendi's not even here right now. There, there shouldn't be any confliction whatsoever on Renicky's part to put him in the lineup every day. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, Verdugo, Verdugo started uh, each game, the first three games of the series. It was just today that he didn't start. And I, I'm with you. I'm actually very curious as to why you wouldn't start him because. He's been one of your more consistent players, not for the last series, not for the last two series, but for, God, probably a month now. I mean, he's been he's been doing everything that's been asked and more. For the month of uh, August, he's hitting 306 with five homers, 11 RBIs, a pair of stolen bases in 72 at-bats. He's also been able to draw seven walks, which isn't crazy, He's only struck out 17 times, but his batting average has increased from 231 at the beginning of the month to 298. He's had five multi-hit games. He should be a starter. I'm with you 100%. I do not understand why he's not. 
Yeah, especially with Ben Attendee out of the lineup, like you said, it's like, it, what what are you holding him out for? I don't understand that. He's he should be an everyday player anyway. Um, hopefully, by the time Ben Attendee comes back, Jackie Bradley's been traded or something happens there. Because if I have to see Jackie Bradley getting starts and getting playing time over Alex Verdugo, I'm going to lose my mind. Because for a team that is clearly rebuilding, whether they want to use that term or not, but they are rebuilding, you play the 23-year-old with a ton of upside. You don't keep playing the 29-year-old who's overpaid and clearly is just not going to turn into anything. It's it's ridiculous. So he better start getting some more playing time because it, that is absurd. Absolutely. Um, my stud for the series is a guy that maybe we haven't used in the last few shows, but was definitely a stud earlier on. I'm going with Bogarts, 5 for 16 on the series. Had uh, RBIs in three out of the four games. His only one game Saturday was 0 for 4, but he he did draw a walk, so was at least on base. And just continues to be very steady in the middle of the order. And I'm just... I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing, and I just hope that he's just not gonna draw you know too much trade talk because the last thing we want Bloom. I mean, if somebody comes up with a good offer, I can't imagine Bloom's not gonna you know take in a hall of prospects for him. Yeah, I agree with you. I, Bogarts was, you know, he's sort of just been consistent all year. He's, you know, he had a few moments where, um, where he lapsed a little bit, but, you know, he hit his sixth home run, so he's he's still providing the power. He still looks pretty good defensively. Um, yeah, he's he's been solid, and that's what you want from him. And I was actually a little bit worried when the trade rumors did start that, you know, it might affect a guy like Bogarts because. I mean, I've mentioned it before, but, like, I just look at him as a guy who the noise can get to him at times, um, and just the littlest thing can kind of screw him up. You know, I always go back to that season that they tried to move him to third base, and it completely screwed him up at the plate, and he had one of his worst offensive seasons. Um, So I worried that the trade talk and, you know, the bad season would get to him because it sounded like he was really struggling with that, but no, he's... He's being a professional. He's he's going up there, and uh, he's still hitting the ball really well, and he, he's doing his job. So I agree. I don't want to see him traded. Um, Kyan Bloom kind of scares me as much as Dombrowski does, but in the opposite way because I'm not worried he's going to trade away prospects. I'm worried he's going to trade away just all of his best players just so he can get a collection of 24-year-olds and make it the, the Tampa Bay Red Sox again. So I agree. Hopefully the Bogarts trade talk is – not serious and not really on the table because this guy needs to be the centerpiece of this team going forward. If you trade Xander Bogarts, the issue that I have with it is, yes, every player has a value. And you can say all you want that certain players are not tradable or uh, it'll it'll take a lot. There is going to be a cost. There's a price on every single player. But if Xander Bogarts leaves, who is your most tenured player that people are going to look up to as your leader? Chris Sale? 
No. Benintendi? No. Like, you don't have a face of the team anymore. Mookie Betts? Gone. You don't have David Ortiz there anymore. Gone. There are just... It would it would signal a major red flag, and at that point, complete fire sale. This would scream 1997-2003 Florida Marlins to me if they were to go out and do that. And I think that would actually be bad for the team if they did it. Uh, you're going to be able to trade a lot of other players to get some prospects. If you trade away Xander Bogarts, who then becomes the face of your team? Because I, I don't know. You, you want to put all your chips in on Rafi Devers and, and Chris Sale? Someone who can't stay healthy and someone who throws the ball into the next stratosphere? Like, no. The, you you cannot trade Xander Bogarts. I just, I think if, if Hyam Bloom ends up doing that move, it will, it'll be like Theo Epstein talking about trading Nomar Garcia-Para. If we made this move, and it didn't work out. It was going to negatively impact this franchise for years to come. And I think that that's the direction it could go if they trade Xander Bogarts. You just gave him a mega deal, a mega extension. You can't give him that deal and then trade him. Because then you look like Laurie in, in, in Miami giving Giancarlo Stanton that huge deal and then him leaving. You look like a fool. So I just, I, I don't know. The idea of trading Xander Bogarts... It doesn't sit well with me. You can say everybody's available, but I don't think he's available. And that they need to nip that one now. You don't want that player on the team thinking he might not be suiting up to play because he's being shipped off to another city. That's the last thing you want to put on that kid. And Xander Bogarts is not 30, 35 years old. Xander Bogarts, I actually have to look it up because I'm not sure how old he is. He's, um, he's 27. 27 years old and he's really yep. the face of the team like come on like pine bloom you've been here for six minutes please please crazy that so he's that, only crazy that he's only 27 though i mean i would have guessed probably 28 29 but he did come up as a 20 year old in you know late in 2013 but here's yep. the thing high and bloom traded mookie bets because he had to and the smart Baseball people will understand that and have understood it all along. If he trades Xander Bogarts, it's basically because he felt like it. And, you know, Charlie, you have a huge problem with it. I think think a lot of people are going to have a problem with it. I I just can't imagine Hyam Bloom standing behind a podium justifying that and, and selling it to everybody successfully. I just don't see it. Yeah, <laughs> so. and, and you're totally right. If he does the trade, it's not because it it doesn't benefit the team in any way. He's 27, and he's on a pretty uh, pretty team-friendly contract for a guy who's like a top-five player at his position. So I, there's literally no reason to make the trade whatsoever. Absolutely. Uh, so hopefully it's going to be an interesting week. What's today? The twenty third. So we got eight more days. So the thirty first is on a Monday. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It must yeah. be. So uh, that's gonna. That's certainly going to be an interesting day. But uh, some honorable mentions uh, for this Baltimore series. Uh, Christian Vasquez five for seventeen. That's nice to see. 
Pilar was uh, four for 18, but had some really good uh, defensive plays as well, including uh, at least one home run, uh, which was today. Um, so nice to nice to see as far as uh, those guys go. Nathan Avaldi actually had the same exact pitching line as Martin Perez. Both guys were seven innings, five hits, one earned run, one walk, and six strikeouts. I've never seen that before, you know, since doing the podcast. But, um, you know, good start for Avaldi. As much as I hate giving this guy credit and I don't have a ton of, of um, confidence in him long term, Ryan Brazier continues to look uh, very good out of the bullpen. Got a combined total of seven outs. Uh, only given up two hits and one walk in that span uh, in games one and three. So um, certainly nice to see there. Colton Brewer had a good opening spot, which was really a start compared to 2020 standards for this team. Four innings, uh, gave up three hits and, uh, you know, looked pretty good and. Um, Phillips Valdez also uh, got uh, seven outs in this series. Only gave up one hit, just like Brazier, and um, continues to be impressive. Any thoughts on any one of those guys? You know, as far as Brazier goes, since you, you brought him up in conversation, and, and you're right, now that I think about it, uh, per the two the comment you made about the two starters, I don't remember that ever happening either, where they each gave up one run earned on five hits with a walk, six Ks, on a solo home run or a home run, and then um, seven innings of work. So that that's the first time I've ever seen that, too. Um, I'm actually really happy with the way that Ryan Brazier has carried himself through this entire situation, because... Brazier's had some games where he's, he's kind of gotten a, a little uh, roughed up, and he never lets that bother him. He got he got wrecked in um, in a couple games this year. He got wrecked against New York, both New Yorks, and um, th- those are really the only games that he's had problems. And you never you never see the excuse me you never see the frustration, anger, anything like that in his face he's carrying himself like a true professional yes he's in his early 30s but i mean i can't picture this guy you know this is someone who when he joined us a couple years ago wasn't playing in the majors for like five years because the angels gave up on him and so i'm actually just happy to see him doing it i know that the last time we talked about Vasquez, I think, uh, Jason, you mentioned the fact that he wasn't throwing anybody out as as much as, or he wasn't throwing as many people out. The percentage was a lot lower. Um, And he started off like gangbusters to, like, crack off 2020. And it's kind of cooled off. But Vasquez in this series had a couple multi-hit games. So I can't complain about what he's able to do. And usually the catcher position isn't the one where you're expecting to see offense. Let's be honest. You're expecting someone to call a great game someone to, to, you know, be really, really great defensively. Uh, not someone you want to see pass ball, you know, pass balls a lot. Um, and, and that makes me happy with Vasquez to see him get a couple of multi-hate games in a four-game series. Yeah, I was uh, impressed with what I saw from both Vasquez and Pilar. Um, that's going to be big going forward, you know, because you can't just rely on 
Bogarts, Devers, and, and Martinez to give you all of your offense. You're going to have to score runs uh, with other guys in the lineup. So, you know, Vasquez, I think, is just always going to be up and down like that. Um, but at the end of the day, he's going to be one of the better offensive catchers in the league. So, And defensively, he's just fine. He's, he's solid. So I'll take it. Um, I know I said he, you know, he wasn't throwing out as many guys, and then of course he guns down a guy this weekend. So that's what I get. Um, but <laughs> that was nice to too. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know, prove me wrong. I, I, I have no problem with that. Throw out every runner you can. Um, that's that's what I would prefer. Um, the bullpen guys, yeah, they were impressive. Brewer, Valdez, and and Brazier, they all looked good. Um, I still think that Valdez is going to come back down to earth at some point, as impressive as, as he's been. Um, I feel like he's going to come crashing down to earth at some point. I hope I'm wrong. Maybe they found a good late bloomer, diamond in the rough kind of kind of guy there. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's it's good that those guys were were stable this weekend, especially after you traded away two relievers. It's good to see guys like Brazier and Colton Brewer stepping up. Absolutely. Getting over into the duds this series, Jason. Who is your dud? So my dud is today's fine starter, uh, Zach Godley. So this guy, he's 0-3 now. Um, He had that one game against the Mets where he came in out of the bullpen, and I think he, what, pitched four innings, struck out seven guys, didn't give up any runs, and we all kind of went, whoa, okay, where did this come from? And, And look, I hand up, I was one of the people advocating for him to slide right into the starting rotation because I said, you know what? You've got nothing to lose. You're throwing out, you know, bum after bum after bum. At least give this guy a chance. He's been a starter before. Let's see if he can do it. Well, the verdict is out. He can't do it. This guy stinks. He he went two and two-thirds today. He walked five guys, which against this Orioles lineup, do you know how hard that is to do? This Orioles lineup loves to swing the bat. They literally, they, they don't like to take pitches. Guys like, you know, Hanser Alberto and, and all these guys, they, they want to go up there and hack because that's just the way their team is built. It's a bunch of, you know, 25 or younger guys who haven't really learned plate discipline yet. They just go up there and they want to hack away because they play in a home run friendly ballpark and that's what they want to do. And Godley still mentioned or, or still managed to walk five of them. Uh, he gave up three, or he only struck out three guys, gave up three runs, and he was upwards of 70-plus pitches when Renicky came to take him out. And Godley has the nerve to try and wave him off and go, no, 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 just let me get one more guy, right? Because there were two outs in the inning, and he wanted to finish the inning. I think by that point, he had walked the bases loaded, and he has the nerve to look at his manager and go, no, 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 let me get one more guy. And Renicky kept walking, and uh, for anyone who was watching the game, if you go back, like, just his body language, like, he was snickering as, you know, Renicky came out to get him, like, shaking his head, kind of laughing, like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's really going to take me out. And it's like, yeah, dude, he's going to take you out because you stink today, and you've been awful ever since they put you in the rotation, and you've done nothing to prove that you d- you deserve to stay in this game. Um, I hated his body language in the dugout when Springs came in and, and gave up the inherited runs. He was sitting there shaking his head, looking down, looking annoyed. Like, I just, I don't know. This guy reminds me of Wade Miley 
you know, but much worse. He just, he doesn't have it. And I know he's going to get more starts because, you know, they don't have anyone else, but this guy is, he is not good. Yep. I, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, your, your two fluky games against Philly and uh, that, that four-inning uh, job he did against the Mets, I, I didn't buy into it then, and I, I'm having a hard time buying into it now. And against Baltimore, while they're, you know, they're not the best team in the league, they're still a team, as Jason mentioned, that does want the opportunity to go out there and do what they can do. What I didn't like about it was every inning it was like a nightmare the first inning started with uh you know a double you get a couple outs you walk someone you hit someone and then you get the inning out with a a strikeout the second inning you have a double you walk someone there's a fielder's choice so the runners are at the corners then you get a strikeout to end the inning you then walk the bases loaded and then as jason mentioned had the audacity to try to pull a card as if you are an elite pitcher, you've proven nothing, nothing while you've been in Boston. You, you're, you're literally uh, one of the worst starters Boston has this year. You're 0-3 in five starts. Your ERA is over seven. And you want to complain? I mean, I get it, the fact that you want to have fire, but show some cooth. You are not a you are not a ten on the ten scale, my friend. You are barely sniffing a three or a four, and that's being kind. So I, I don't I don't know why he thought he needed to do that. There if that's an acceptable behavior for somebody who's been on the team for uh not even a year and you have an uh your your manager who's coming in you're supposed to show him respect, and you have that as a response? That shows me two things. One, Zach Godley is a head case. And two, Godley may not be the only person that has no respect for uh, Ron Renneke. And that's another problem all in itself. Because if we saw that visibly from one player, what are we not seeing in the dugout? What are we not seeing in the clubhouse and outside? What are we like? What else is going on? And and I, I don't blame Ron Renicky for the fact that the Sox are now nine and twenty, but that's not a good look. It's incredibly disrespectful, and it, it, it's it's red flag city to me. I mean, you guys hammered him pretty good, and I'm definitely looking forward to not having him on the roster next year. Uh, I can't imagine he's going to be brought back. Going forward, it just seems like elite contact hitting teams are going to are gonna shell this guy. You saw New York do it, and he gave up eight runs. Tampa Bay knocked him around pretty good. Those are two teams that hit very good for contact. The Orioles presently are the number six team in the majors uh, in terms of batting average. I think they were a little higher than that coming into the series. I, they were number one in something, but I couldn't I couldn't figure out what that was. Um, but still a team that definitely likes to hit, and I had a feeling today wasn't going to go good, and he was up to, what, 
40-something pitches by the end of the second inning, something like that. So if if they want to keep Godley on the team, they they should probably use him a little bit more sparingly. Like maybe Toronto wouldn't wouldn't have been a bad team for him to face, but I just the Orioles obviously are going to knock him around. We've got one more series left against Tampa Bay, another against the Yankees. It's it's almost an automatic loss if if he's put in there. So, um and another thing too is we haven't seen it so much yet, but where he's throwing a lot of off-speed stuff and a lot of it not, you know, in the strike zone, he's almost a free stolen base for whoever wants to take it. So I just I see a lot of red flags with him going forward. I mean. Ideally, he's probably a long relief guy in the middle of the game versus a starter, but de- definitely I, uh, a dud. I, I, uh, I, I looked at his numbers a little bit more intimately, too. He threw 70 pitches, and he didn't even crack three innings. 40 pitches were strikes. 30 were balls. So you had no command at all. On top of the fact that there were some, some calls, and, and I'm going to actually bring Brazier back into this for a moment. Ryan Brazier had some pitches where they curved and they they just fell. They were gorgeous in, right in the zone, and they didn't get called for strikes. Brazier made no comment, nothing, maybe a, a brief stare. That's it. Godley couldn't carry his jock. It, it, it's, I'm sorry. It, it's it's you can't you cannot be a starting pitcher in the majors throwing 70 pitches and you haven't gotten out of the third inning yet. Like 70 pitches in four innings is not good. 70 pitches in not even three. What are you doing? Yeah. I think we might be seeing why uh, our old friend Tori Lavolo turned this guy into a reliever when he was in Arizona because maybe that's his future. I'm not sure he can start games, but Maybe he he is a long reliever. That's kind of you to think he has a future. I don't. <laughs> I think he's show, showcasing and he's showing everybody his true colors right now. This is just someone that can't handle it, can't handle the pressure, can't handle being told no. Thinks he's better than he is. It just it's unfortunate, but I mean, we, we we've had a small sample size, and I don't even think we've seen the worst of it. I think we're we're probably going to see him get shelled out like Porcello did. I like I said I'm just I'm just looking forward to you know not having him anymore. Maybe maybe 5 years from now we'll look back at 2020 as the Zach Godley year and and hope that <laughs> we don't uh, have to deal with it. I'm going outside the box for my dud this series. Uh, Andrew did it uh last, last show or two shows ago rather with uh an MLB wide uh, take, but I'm gonna I'm gonna use my dud for Dave O'Brien. I just I can't stand listening to this guy. All he does is just whines and cries about pace of play. You know, whether it was a long inning like we had today with Godley, it was a 40 minute inning. O'Brien was all over that. 
he seems to know which relievers out of certain teams' bullpens are are slow to the plate or take you know more time in between pitches. He was doing that with Alvarado uh, in the in the Tampa series, who subsequently went on the DL in the first game of the season. I'm not kidding. The first game of the season against Baltimore, in the second inning, he was already complaining about pace of play. Like, we just suffered through a four-month delay of no sports whatsoever. Baseball was the first one back, and O'Brien O'Brien just, uh, just completely trashing the sport. And every unpopular, radical rule change, and, and some of them are, are only specific to 2020, at least for now, whether it's the the shorter double header games or the the man on second base which i think that one's here to stay but he's always in favor of those changes like if mlb changed a regulation game to 6 innings going forward after this season i know that's radical but o'brien would be all for it this guy hates baseball and i think he brings remy and eckersley down with him because he gets them to agree with him on a lot of it, and he just makes the whole the whole show suffer. And he's not captivating in any way. He's not like Orsillo, who can make uh, an epic play a hundred times more dramatic. Uh, Brian Anderson with the Brewers is is another guy who can do that very well. That's why he does some of the TBS games in the month of October. Joe Buck, love him or hate him, is very captivating in in a big play, in a big moment. O'Brien is none of this. He's just an average to below average guy. And I want want Nesson to recognize this and finally get rid of him. It's been a while. We know who Dave O'Brien is. And I didn't like him from the start. But Nesson and, and, you know, Tom Warner... They, they weren't going to fire him after a year because that would be like them admitting that they were wrong. So And they're never going to do that. So I just, I can't stand this guy. Don Orsello, the, the Padres uh, broadcast crew, I forget who his partner is, but they were, I think, second overall last year in the ratings. Or maybe they were first. It, it was first or second. And... We're stuck with O'Brien, and it's just a terrible broadcast, and nothing would would get me more excited this off season to to see him to see him get fired. I, I would be more excited over O'Brien getting fired than I would be with bringing back Lester or signing Bauer to a free agent deal. Firing O'Brien would get me way more excited. I can't stand <laughs> the guy. What are you guys' thoughts? Oh, I've been very adamant that I think that one of the largest, biggest mistakes the Red Sox ever made was uh, uh, not having Don Orsillo play call anymore. I think that was one of the biggest mistakes of all time. I uh, I have nothing but respect for that man. I don't know all the details behind closed doors. But I still want to side with Orsillo because the man was a Red Sox through and through, coming up through you know 
Pawtucket and doing everything he had to do to get up to the show. And uh, when you listen to him call shots in San Diego, it's like a little kid in a candy store. He is so happy. And it's just, you don't get that kind of excitement and joy. You know, like, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of San Diego, but I tolerate San Diego because of Don Rosillo. I'm all about calling San Diego Slam Diego after they hit four Grand Slams in four days, setting a new Major League Baseball record. You know, it's never happened before. But he is just so passionate and, and caring. There was never going to be a replacement for Don Rosillo. There was going to be somebody who took his role, but you were not going to replace Don Rosillo. I, I'm whatever about O'Brien. Uh, I do agree with you there that he does complain about pace of play. Um, I did find his exchange with Eck and uh, Remy a little funny uh, a couple days ago when they were talking about uh, uh, the the major contracts that they were receiving and when they got paid taking guys out to dinner and Rem Dog ended up saying, oh, that, yeah, that never happened to me. I never did that. It was just kind of a funny exchange, and that, that seemed to be like a genuine moment for Obi. But, I mean, other than that, it's just it's very dry. It's it's like it's, you know, like if you fall asleep listening to him talking, it's it's very much a possibility. Yeah, I so I've never been a huge O'Brien fan um, because the one thing I'll always remember about the Don Orsillo era was the Red Sox could be, you know, getting their teeth kicked in. It could be like 10 nothing in the seventh inning. And I didn't want to turn the game off because him and Remy would, they would keep you entertained the whole way. And whether it was because they were being entertaining about the actual product on the field or whether they just went off on one of their own little tangents, you know, like they like to do. But it kept me tuned in now. And it, this isn't all O'Brien's fault. This is, I have a whole problem with Nesson just overall. But if the Red Sox are down by a lot, late in the game, I'm probably going to turn the game off because I don't, O'Brien's not going to give me anything entertaining. I don't need to stick around to hear Garen Austin go, it's the seventh inning, time to get up and stretch, Boston. Did you know that stressing can help? Like, oh, it's so bad. Like, the whole, I feel like O'Brien is, he encapsulates everything that Nesson wants. They want the stiff, you know, buttoned up, professional you know let's only talk about serious baseball topics you know let's let's not do anything silly this is nesson we're a professional you know like it just feels like the whole red sox broadcast and thank god that they allow remy and Eck to be in there too and that they actually allowed the three-man booth because those two can keep you sane at least for a little bit over o'brien but yeah I, i i just feel like the whole O'Brien's whole thing is just that, like, he is exactly what Nesson wants. Just the dry, boring, I'm just going to, you know, rattle off stats and we're going to talk about current baseball issues and, you know, no fun allowed. It's like Nesson is, you know, quickly becoming like the no entertainment sports network. Um, and it just, it's awful. The, the, the broadcast has gotten so much worse. So I'm not, I don't completely hate O'Brien. I don't think that they're going to, they're going to fire him anytime soon. I think he's here to stay for a long time because I think he's, like I said, I think he's exactly what they want. Um, I don't completely hate him, but he does nothing to keep me enthralled. And 
it just every I feel like every game, especially this season, with what San Diego's doing, it's just making me miss Don Orsillo more and more because, you know, he, he's passionate and he gets excited and, you know, he likes to have fun in the booth. And Nesson broadcasts these days, just that's not what it is. They, they don't like to have fun over there. I did a poll earlier um, just asking my Twitter followers if O'Brien should be fired. And I, I get that this isn't a scientific poll and there are MLB-wide people probably voting just to see what the results will be. But 57% to 43% are in favor of firing O'Brien. That's not good. I mean, even 50-50 is bad. If 50% of the fan base doesn't like him and doesn't identify with him, that's terrible. And if Nesson's going to be tone deaf, this is not the time to have a you know a bad crew in the booth. You know, with all the uncertainty with the virus and what next season's going to look like, and possibly having a strike season in in twenty twenty two, you don't want to you don't want to tank like this because when twenty twenty three rolls around. You want the sport to be robust. You want to have the right guys in the right place by the time you get to that point. And I just, and you look at the, because Tom Warner, I guess, deals directly with Nesson. Like he's the highest ranking Red Sox official that gets involved into the day-to-day operations. And and when you look at the identity crisis that that the actual baseball team has had, you know, going from Sherrington to Dombrowski now to uh, High and Bloom, and and the bad signings we've made, and and you know, wanting Crawford and and Gonzalez for marketing, and then getting burnt there luckily sending them to the Dodgers and then to make the same mistake again just a few years later with Pablo Sandoval because, you know, he's the Kung Fu Panda and that's super marketable. I mean, there's the whole organization has an identity crisis, you know, whether it's the team or whether it's Nesson and you just, when are they finally going to start making good decisions? And maybe they're doing that now with Bloom, but they're not doing it with Nesson and Dave O'Brien. I mean, if you start paying attention to it and this is everybody in the audience, you're going to have conservatively two or three instances, every game of O'Brien complaining about pace of play. It's going to happen. And on a bad day for O'Brien, it might be four or five examples you'll be able to find. This guy hates baseball, and and he's going to make the audience hate baseball. I just I can't hate this guy. I've never hated anybody more than I've hated John Farrell, and and the, well <laughs> maybe David Price, but but Farrell was just un, insufferable the whole time, and and. 2015, we were last place team. That's when I kind of jumped on uh, and said, you know, this guy needs to be fired. And then in the 2016 playoffs, you had you had chubby Mike Napoli stealing second base on David Price in game two. 
you know, Farrell getting outmanaged there, and, and you just knew the team wasn't going to perform for him in 2017, and, and they didn't. You know, we lost to Houston, you know, three games to one in the ALDS, and you just you just knew it was never going to end well with Farrell, and I hated that guy so bad, and I hate O'Brien just as bad, you know, if not worse. It's just so brutal. Yeah, I... I agree with you about the team having identity crisis. They, this team desperately needs another season like what 2013 was, where. And I'm not saying go out and sign a bunch of veterans and hope that you catch lightning in a bottle again, but go out and get guys that have personality. Go out and get players that are fun to watch and also are good on the field. Like they just they need that. They need because that was you know that 2013 year that was coming off the heels of like the Bobby Valentine disaster and it really brought a lot of fans right back in it because the team had an identity uh the franchise had like a personality to it and they ended up winning the world series and that's what they need they need just a whole sort of reset like they did that year absolutely Uh, that was such a fun year you're right and we basically led the AL East the whole season and it wasn't really until mid to late August that I thought, you know, geez, you know, we might be able to win a World Series because Detroit was like a powerhouse at the time. You know, they had Verlander and Scherzer and Miguel Cabrera. That was like the height of his career. He might have been an MVP that year or even a triple crown, I think. And I just I knew we were the underdogs against them but I started believing in the Red Sox you know a little bit late in the season and and it was just it was so much fun and when you look at Victorino Napoli Uihara Johnny Gomes and you're like these are the moves we just made you know coming off a last play Mm -hmm. season it was very underwhelming people were saying that Shane Victorino was washed up and was going to be a dud signing and I saw a lot of people saying Mike Napoli will never play first base defense adequately. And it just, it all came together so perfectly. And the team chemistry, I mean, that was the biggest thing. You know, they just had instant chemistry and um, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, so hopefully... You know, hopefully within the next year or two, we can do that. I think we could be that team next season. I really do. If they make the right signings, I really think I think we can make some noise because you can't trust the Yankees to to put together a, a you know a, a solid pitching rotation. They've really never had one, and you know they've got they've got issues all across the board right now, especially when it comes to durability. So. Uh, Tampa's going to be good, you know, so we can't, we're never going to be able to count them out anytime soon, barring, you know, a bad rash of injuries, but, but, you know, hopefully it happens, but I went out of turn. I just could not wait to slaughter Dave O'Brien, figuratively speaking, (laughs) by the way. Um, I skipped over Charlie. So go ahead, Charlie, who was your dud for the series? Oh, yeah, no worries. So, uh, the dud that I ended up having was uh, J.D. Martinez, who, um, outside of his one home run in the series, was one for 14. Um, 
twice in the series, did not get uh, a hit, was able to get on base three times, uh, or three during the course of three games. But a two fifteen, uh, sorry, two for fifteen average is uh, one thirty three. He had a homer, two RBIs, and outside of that that big home run that he had, nothing else. Three walks, three strikeouts, not scaring anybody, but just also not the numbers you're expecting from a guy you're paying $25 million for. So it's just, you know, again, he's going to be a dud for me unless he shows pretty quickly that um, he, he can handle it. And it just doesn't seem like he's he's with the program. His value continues to go down because he's just not doing his job. And it's not a little bit. It's... It's very obvious that he's not, you know, he's just not with the program. And we've seen, you know, 30 games and he's only had a couple of home runs. He's just not, he's just not getting it done. And it's, it's super frustrating. Yeah. um, Some of the JD Martinez at bats are starting to look really scary and really worrying because um, he's striking out on fastballs that are like, not you know, not right down the middle, but pretty close. And he looks way late on them. Um, he's striking out on breaking balls that are about five feet outside the strike zone, and he's just completely not seeing it. So, I mean, it's the regression or whatever you want to call it. It's starting to look real ugly for Martinez. And again, you know, we bring up the the video thing every time, but maybe that's a product of it. You know, maybe the at-bats look bad because he really just can't get it done without being able to look at video. I don't know what it is, Um, but yeah, it's not getting any better. And we're approaching the second half of this shortened season, and he looks no closer to figuring it out at the plate. So that's a major concern. And uh, if, you know, especially if he does have a down year, it's like now his trade value is going to plummet. it's just a bad situation all around for the Red Sox. You need this guy producing, whether it's because you want to keep him here and you want to, you know, build the offense around him, or whether it's because you want to turn him into a trade chip. You need him playing better than this because it's not just that the stats look bad, it's his at-bats look ugly. And any evaluator from other teams that you might want to trade with, if they're looking at him, they're going, no way. We're not going to trade for a 33-year-old who can't catch up to a fastball. So it's starting to get real concerning with him. And I don't even – I mean, he has hurt his trade value. I mean, we're into that territory now. And I don't know who's available on other teams that aren't expected to get into the postseason. But you have to imagine that there are better options out there instead of Martinez. And if the Red Sox do trade him, it's going to be for pennies on the dollar. Agreed. Yeah, there's... I mean, it looks terrible. There have have not been too many bright spots or bright moments for the Red Sox this year. This was one that I was really hoping, like after, you know, the big home runs that we saw him get, that it was going to like almost spark uh, a little bit of just, I don't know, just a little bit of the yesteryear version of J.D. Martinez because he hasn't had too many bright moments this year. Like you, you, you literally can count on one hand 
how well he's done uh, this year in in certain games. It's it's that bad, and I I don't remember. Um, I mean, when you think about it with JD Martinez, I don't remember a time during the course of the last two years where he went through this kind of a dry spell. I ju- I just don't, and it, it's terrible that he goes this many games. Um, you know, his last home run, he had the big one against Tampa Bay. And then after that, it's been, what, almost 10 games since he's had a home run? He's had one extra base hit since that home run? So, like, what what are we doing? What's going on? And it can't just be a damn iPad. It just, it cannot. That's that's insane. Like, we, we saw one Grand Slam, like, that was his big hit and after that i was like please please let this be the sign because right now it's it looking like that should have been the sign of trade yeah and i think bloom is still going to be motivated to trade him because he doesn't want to take the chance of martinez opting in again so <laughs> it's definitely he's an interesting case at this point and he just had a birthday. He's I think 33 years old now. So, you're going to you're just going to have the the standard age questions pop up when when he can't catch up with the fastball. They're going to be like, "Geez, maybe maybe he's slipping." Josh Donaldson just signed a, a four-year deal with the Twins at at age 35. So, there is a market for guys who are still performing well, but JD definitely seems to be going the wrong way, uh, 100%. So hopefully we get out of him anyway, but who knows? Hopefully we get a good week out of him (laughs) is really what we need to hope for. Yeah, exactly. Agreed, 100%. So, uh Jason, what what are some thoughts uh, on the workman trade? You weren't on the emergency, um, the emergency podcast, and let me also say that from the fan base, there's just a lot of lack of just basic knowledge. Number one, he is a free agent, and, and if we want him back bad enough, we can get him this winter anyway. I, I'm not sure we're even going to do that regardless but and we weren't like it seems like fans were disappointed that we traded him just from a performance standpoint like oh great now who's going to close for us it doesn't matter who's going to close for us because we're still not getting in the playoffs and I just feel like as podcasters you know we we look at MLB rumors news daily. We do this every day, you know, because we're into it. And that's why we do a podcast. And I know I'm guilty of not realizing that, you know, some of the audience are casual. And, you know, maybe we take for granted that these guys don't, don't follow the team as closely as we do. So, you know, we, and there's nothing wrong with being a casual fan. I'm not, I'm not criticizing the, the casual fan in general. 
Um, and, and, you know, maybe those people do listen to podcasts because they, they want to hear the analysis and the, and the statistics and whatnot. But, but there was a lot of anger, you know, from, from Red Sox fans as a result of that trade. And maybe the return wasn't what some people wanted it to be, but, you know, what were your thoughts on the return, though, Jason? So immediately when I saw it, um, I was overall pretty satisfied because you just got two starting pitchers under the age of 30 for two relief pitchers who are both going to be free agents after this season. Um, so that right away is pretty good. Generally, you don't see teams giving up starters for relievers because starters are inherently more valuable, um, especially relievers who are pure rentals, which both Workman and Hembry are. Um, so in terms of the actual guys they got back, I don't know much about Connor Siebel because he's a 24-year-old who um, hasn't really pitched in the minors all that much, actually. His minor league numbers look okay. He looks like you know a guy who um, needs, needs more time in AA or AAA before you really know what you've got there. But he's 24, so okay, you, you know, you send him to the alternate site for now because there is no minor league baseball, and you let him, you know, pitch there. And maybe if he sees something you like, maybe he gets a spot start um, somewhere down the line here. Uh, Nick Pavetta is a guy that I'm not too impressed with. 27 years old, uh, former fourth round pick of the Nationals. This is a guy who has never been able to figure it out at the major league level. Um, he debuted in 2017 and his ERAs each year that he's been in the majors have been 6.02, 4.7 and 5.38. So this is a guy who, you know, supposedly has pretty good stuff, but he's never been able to figure it out. And so I, you know, I worry that you may have just traded for another Zach Godley or another Kyle Hart or just, you know, another 27, 28-year-old guy who's just going to get his lips ripped off. But you know what? Who knows? Maybe he comes here, he figures something out. Maybe he needed a change of scenery. Um, look, at the end of the day, like I said, you got two starters, both under the age of 30, for two guys who really, they weren't going to be on this team going forward anyway. And, you know, Workman already blew a save in his first outing. I think the Red Sox were smart to make that deal when they did. Because I think Workman last year, they caught lightning in a bottle with that guy. I, I think that's going to be probably the best year he'll have. Um, and Hembry is a 31, 32-year-old reliever with a ton of mileage on his arm. So, you know, I look at him and, like, he's going to probably go the way of the way that, like, Janitra Tozawa did. You know, fans are really upset when we didn't re-sign Tozawa when he was 32 or 33. And he went to the Marlins and just couldn't hack it. His arm was just shot. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen to Hemry, but he has had a lot of mileage on his arm. He's been pitching for a long time. So, you know, I, I, I'm not lamenting the loss of those two guys. And I'm at the very least intrigued to see what these two starters can provide for you. And, you know, Siebold, maybe, maybe he figures it out. He's only 24. He's got plenty of time. So we'll see. 
Andrew was saying in the last show that he attended some type of clinic last winter with a couple of higher profile pitches and was able to really overhaul some stuff. So a lot of the, you know, the, that 20 to 80 sliding scale stuff, I'm not admittedly, you know, I, I don't get too much into that, but he comes out as, you know, fairly average, you know, as far as the scale goes and the, in the scouting and his minor league numbers so far, but apparently he might have overhauled some stuff so he's not able to compile anything this year because there is no minor league baseball but bloom must have noticed something and 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 so we'll see and i I have seen tweets actually um that say he could be up with the big club as early as this year just kind of getting some innings in, getting some reps in. He has, you know, pitched as high as double A. So we'll see. And with um, Pavetta, I get I get him mixed up with Eflin. I, I don't know why. But with Pavetta, Bloom does see him uh, as a starter and thinks that he can kind of retool a little bit. So um, I, I'm hoping they've kind of pinpointed something with him and, and maybe, maybe we'll, you know, see him as a viable arm next year, but I don't think he'll be up, uh, this year though. Uh, regardless, uh, Charlie, uh, any more thoughts on the trade since the emergency podcast? No, I mean, uh, it was, it was tough to see him not succeed in his very first start because you, you do want him to do well. Uh, it was kind of weird to see uh, him wearing another jersey, uh, although he, he has in the past, you know. So it's just I, I wasn't really thrilled about the return um, because the, the really the well, the minor leaguer we still don't know yet, but the starting pitcher had an ERA of uh, 15.88. And that's why I'm a little bit nervous about it. Um, but teams have taken projects on, and Pavetta seems to be on that course now with the Red Sox, where they're going to try to fix him up and bring him back to where he was back in 2018, where while the record wasn't great and the ERA wasn't great, uh, he still averaged well over one strikeout per inning. And I think that's where they want to get him back. And there's a chance that maybe, maybe they can break him down and build him right back up again. Um, but you know, losing workmen from, from our bullpen was going to be tough. Uh, but we knew full well that this was not going to be a year that we were going anywhere. So it is what it is. And hopefully, uh, one of those two pieces ends up working out. And Jason also mentioned, uh, uh, you know, a similar sentiment that I've had with, with workmen is that it was good that we got him traded quick because he'd been shaky at points and you don't want to destroy his trade value. And he did blow, uh, you know, the save in his first appearance with the Phillies by uh, allowing a, uh, allowing two runs to come in off of a hit from Adam Duvall. And then just tonight nearly blew another one. He did give up one run in the final inning of the game 
and there was a ball hit to deep center field and was thrown in, you know, hit a cutoff man, and they gunned down Dansby Swanson at the plate uh, for, for, I think it was the final out of the game, but the run didn't score, and, and the Phillies' defense had to save Workman's ass. And <laughs> I was looking through the comments, and he's not really getting killed too much by the Phillies fan base, who loves to kill people. Philadelphia is one of the most brutal markets, regardless of what the sport is. I mean, Eagles fans, I, I've heard, can be insanely vicious. But um, hopefully he's a little sharper. And... They are 10 and 14 on the season, and there's still time left. I mean, they can go on a run, and that's a team talented enough to do it, but they've got a general manager in their front office who is, his career is on the line right now, at least as far as his future in Philly. So I got nothing against the Phillies. I, I hate Bryce Harper, but, you know, I'm a big Joe Girardi guy, and. If they were to win a ring before the Yankees do, I think that would be hilarious. And um, so I, I hope Workman can rein it in. And he's a finesse guy, you know, relies on that curveball. There's not much on his fastball. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But um, at least the Red Sox did get rid of him, uh, you know, before it got complicated. With there, absolutely, wholeheartedly. Uh, just super quick before we get into the uh, series preview, Brock Holt, as I mentioned in the newsreel to start the podcast, has been designated for assignment, so instantly there was a tsunami of Red Sox fans on social media um, begging the Red Sox to bring him back. I think that ship has sailed, but what are you guys' thoughts on that? Oh, man, it, it hurts to see uh, Brock Holt struggling because I remember I was a little salty about the fact that they didn't end up re-signing him. But uh, as, as hard as it is to see uh, Brock Holt there, bringing him back is just going to uh, its gonna be like putting that band-aid that you ripped off back on and hoping that it'll stick there, but it won't because you pulled hair up with that band-aid and now it just won't stick back there. You don't want to put that Band-Aid back on. And Brock Holt is just not what he used to be. Could he come back to Boston? Sure. Is it going to be the uh, is it going to be the, the rejuvenation that he needs? I think it could be a good morale booster because that is someone that has been in, in the Red Sox, um, you know, in the Red Sox family for a little while. But, I mean, when you hit three for 30 – what are you really trying to do? And if you're the Red Sox, are you really trying to add another player that can't hit? Like, we we have nine in the lineup that do that. Or eight, because I don't want to count Verdugo in there. Uh, you know, like, where, where would his spot be? One out of every three at-bats is a strikeout for, for Brock Holt. He has no extra base hits. He has no stolen bases. He has one RBI and he has one run. You can bring him back as maybe an advisor. I don't think I'd bring him back as a player. I love Brock Holt, but I just I can't do it. I don't want to see him struggle back in Boston, too. 
he definitely does have future coach and you know if he's really ambitious maybe a manager someday kind of written on him but yeah excellent points jason uh, what what are your thoughts on holt if this red sox team was contending and you know they were they were actually playing well and you know they were actually in a spot where they could potentially make the playoffs i would consider it only for the morale boost, not because I actually think he would add anything offensively to the team, but, you know, he gets along well with this group. This group really loved him, and, um, I mean, you saw it every time J.D. Martinez hit a home run. They did the big jumping hug thing in the dugout. Like, I do think Brock Holt has value as a clubhouse guy and, you know, as a locker room guy, but not when you're going to be the worst team in the league. There's just no point. Um, I love Brock Holtz. I loved him just as much as everyone else did. But even I said when when the Brewers signed him to that contract, I said, you know what? Good riddance. Love you. Mean it. But I'm glad the Red Sox didn't pay him because at the end of the day, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's a utility guy who had a couple of good years here, but that's it. He's not an everyday player. He doesn't have, you know, there's no untapped potential that we haven't seen yet. We already know what he is. He's probably on the decline now. And honestly, I don't miss him because I feel like you have the development of the exact same thing in uh, Jonathan Arauz. And he's 21 years old, which I would much rather you stick with the 21-year-old who looks like he's going to turn into what Brock Holt was then bring back the 32, 33-year-old for millions of dollars who's going three for 30. So love you, mean it, Brock. It was fun while he was here, but uh, no, they, they should not bring him back. Stick with Arauz. Stick with the young guys that you've got. You know, Keep rebuilding. Don't just bring back the old guys, especially when you still have the worst record in the league. There's just no point. Yeah, and, and one more thing on top of that is, when the boat is sinking, you're not trying to put more water onto the boat. You're you're trying to get rid of the water to try to get that boat fixed, to, to try to recover what you can. You're not trying to sink it faster. And I feel like, as as terrible as it sounds, it would be, uh, it would it would not benefit the team to bring him back to, in a player role. And I say the same thing also for Dustin Pedroia, if we're ever going to go down that path too. I hate Peraza, and, uh, you know, I kind of wished before the season was getting started that they just went and got Brock Holt, especially since it was the same amount of money. But like I said, that ship has kind of sailed at this point. Peraza's here whether we like it or not. He's actually hitting okay. Um, You know, the defense has left a little to be desired. Maybe that gets reined in a little bit. I think, as Jason said, Jonathan Arauz is a very interesting player. We don't know what the ceiling is. He could have a bunch of untapped potential. So he's a guy I want to see more of. He he only got one start in this uh, Orioles series, which was today, and Arauz was two for four. So pretty good. And... Um, you're going to have Dahlbeck coming up at some point, e- even if that's next year. 
Chavis still needs to get in the lineups. I mean, you don't want Mitch Moreland hitting uh, lefties. You know, he's hitting 340 on the season. Moreland is with a bunch of home runs and RBIs. So, um, you know, there just really is no place on this team right now for, for Brock Holt as a player. And his career might be done. I mean, he said he didn't want to play this year because of the virus, but he ultimately did because... He was afraid nobody would be interested in him next year. So so he ended up playing. He got DFA'd. Hopefully, I mean, we're all rooting for him. We we hope some team picks him up, but there there's just no place in Boston. And do you guys remember Daniel Nava? Similar oh, story. Yeah. Similar, oh, yeah. Similar story. Similar feel. Similar clubhouse presence. We... We got the best years of his career, and and when we moved on from him, I think he ended up in Philly the next season, and that was about it. He just wasn't putting up major league production anymore, and unfortunately, I kind of see. I think, I think Holt's career is on the same exact trajectory as as Navas was uh, at that point in his career, so. Um, so it sounds like we're, you know, pretty much in agreement on, you know, where Holt stands and not very likely, uh, to come back. So, uh, just, just to spend a few minutes on it. Um, there's not a whole lot we can talk about with the Toronto series. We know Kyle Hart is going tomorrow. Uh, well, Tuesday, rather there's an off day on Monday. Uh, he's yep. facing a TBD, uh, starter, I think this could be a decent, you know, opportunity for Hart to kind of build on on his last start. The Blue Jays don't have uh, Bo Bichette right now, and not too scary of a lineup, you know, in terms of like a lot of great contact hitting. They can certainly mash, but um, I'm gonna be watching this start with a little bit of interest. Yeah, I think um, I think the Red Sox have a, have a good shot this series. Bichette not being there really helps, and the Blue Jays have some undisciplined hitters in their lineup. Uh, you know, Teoscar Hernandez and uh, even Vladdy Jr. to some degree. Guys like that, they just they like to go up there and hack. So you know, if the Red Sox pitchers are smart and they get ahead of them in the count, then uh, they should have a pretty good series. Yeah, that one guy for uh, for Toronto that seems to always have the Red Sox number. I, I, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of his name. I think he sounds like a sounds like a complete Looney Tune. Uh, Rowdy Telez or whatever his <laughs> name is. He I, his name drives me nuts. I, I don't like it. I can't stand it. But he always has the Red Sox number. Like he he hits Boston better than than anybody else in that lineup. And you know, I'm I'm, I'm actually more intimidated by that guy than I am about Vladdy Jr. because Vlad hasn't really done. Uh, he, he really hasn't done as much. I mean, there was so much hype about Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and I don't really think he's lived up to it. And maybe it's it's still young, but, I mean, if you if you look at the numbers, it's just not, not as good as it, I thought it was going to be. I'm with Jason on this one. I'm not too scared. Nathan Avoldi, I uh, guess the start for game two. Two that is on the twenty sixth, so I don't know if there'll be room for him to have one more start. 
I guess if if he did, it would be on the thirtieth or or thirty first. But um, but nonetheless, he's starting against TBD. I mean, he's only really had one bad start, so um, at face value that that should be a very winnable game for the Red Sox. I agree with you there. Yeah, definitely. And Toronto's pitching situation is a mess because they're TBD for the whole series. So they're still trying to find the, the moving pieces of their rotation. So whoever the Red Sox offense goes up against, um, they, they should do pretty well. So I actually see that Anderson's going to be pitching the first game, and I see uh, Ryu pitching game three. Okay. Uh, but I'm, okay. So MLB yeah, so that, doesn't have it then, yeah. Yeah, so on ESPN, that's what they have. They have Chase Anderson, who's done okay, and then Ryu has done well. But, I mean, honestly, three-game series, if we win one, I'm happy. We're not going to win two. Uh, I, don't, I don't see us winning two. We're definitely not winning three, and I don't think we're going to get swept. So it then becomes a question of do we win one or two? I'm, I'm hedging my bet more on the one spot. We and I think got Anderson I think out early. Only... Sorry, Charlie. I was just saying we we got Anderson out pretty early in the last um, last time we faced them. So, you know, if, if we're – Firing on all cylinders offensively, that that shouldn't be too bad of a start. Ryu is having, uh, or at least his last couple of starts, I think were pretty good. And we've got a TBD in Game 3 going up against him. I'm guessing that's going to be Colton Brewer, provided that he's not needed uh, in the in the first two games. Hart kind of is a wild card, so I mean that, that could be a, a potential game to, to see. Uh, Brewer maybe, although four innings, so maybe maybe not. I I don't know how they're going to utilize him, but um, it won't be godly. We know that much just because he he pitched today. So um, so yeah. So I I think this could be a two out of three series, and I mean a trade could happen too. I mean, Avoldi <laughs> could be <laughs> traded before that start, but. Um, but yeah, we'll see, but I'll, I'll, I'll play optimistic here and say two out of three. Jerry, that's, that's so, that's so, so generous of you. It's so <laughs> unlike you to be so, so pleasantly surprising the crew here. Uh, if Evaldi ends up getting shipped out before that start, I'll actually be shocked because I think the incoming team that receives his services, cause I'm, I'm like 95% sure he's gone. Uh, they're going to want to see him be able to bounce back from what they saw. And yes, it was one ugly start, and it was in New York where there's, you know, that short portrait field and humidor situation, not good. They do want to be able to see that he can bounce back. And yes, he was able to do the seven innings, one run on five hits with a walk and six Ks, a home run allowed. But they want to see him do it again. Can he do it multiple times in a row? Is he going to be able to be a consistent three guy? Or two guy, who knows? So, I uh, I think we still see uh, Eovaldi pitch in the Toronto series, and that'll probably be his uh, his farewell tour. Hopefully, because I, I don't see him uh, having thirty starts next year with his you know lack of durability. So his value probably won't be any higher, you know, barring a you know a gem. Uh, this week in Toronto, so uh, we'll we'll just have to see, I guess. But yep. any final thoughts? 
Jason no, is right so far on trades. Uh, Jason huh. picked the first first one of the five guys to go uh, as far as what team was going to get him. So kudos to Jason. I, I I didn't I didn't give him his his proper love on the on the last show that we did while it was a, an emergency show. Uh, props to Jason for getting that one right. So well done, sir. Oh, thank you. I, I I'm not going to make any predictions for trades this time because. Uh, I don't want to overjinx myself and you know <laughs> play too much into it. So, um, but yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially over the next eight days with the trade deadline coming up. I hope the Red Sox are as aggressive as they can be without being too aggressive. So, don't trade Xander Bogarts, but do the other deals you have to do. Just do something, please. Absolutely. Well, you guys have a good night, and we'll uh, be in touch throughout the week. Sounds good. Thanks for having us as always. Take care, guys. All right. See you guys. Episode 210 in the books. Kind of a disappointing series. You know, like we said, we, we could have won three out of four against Baltimore, but settled for the split. So maybe we'll take uh, the series against Toronto. They're the only team we have taken a series from. So. We'll uh, we'll see how it all unfolds this week. Take care.